1: Good day, everyone, and welcome to Norboard Inc.'s third-quarter earnings conference call. As a reminder, today's call is being recorded and webcast on Norbord's website at www.norboard.com. Norboard's discussion today may include certain projections and forward-looking statements regarding Norbord's business, future actions, and expected results. These statements are subject to known and unknown risks and future results may differ materially. For further information on known risks, please see the caution regarding forward-looking information statement in Norbert's February 4, 2020 annual information form and the cautionary statement contained in the forward-looking statement section of Norbert's management's discussion and analysis dated November 4, 2020. And now I'll turn the conference over to Peter Weinbergen, President and Chief Executive Officer. Please go ahead, sir.
2: Well, thank you, Sandra, and good morning, everyone. Welcome to our Q3 2020 conference call. I'm joined today by Robin Lampard, our CFO, Heather Kopitz, our Director of Corporate Affairs, and Robert Winslow, our Vice President of Investor Relations and Corporate Development. This morning, I want to take a moment to highlight a few key points about our Q3 results, including our decision to permanently close the 100-mile house mill in British Columbia. I'll then ask Robin to highlight a few financial items before I make some concluding comments and we move on to your questions. Q3 was our strongest quarterly result ever. We generated $322 million of adjusted EBITDA nearly 20% above our previous best quarter in Q2 of 2018. In North America, the continued recovery in U.S. home construction activity carried over from Q2. Repair and remodeling was also strong in the quarter with demand running at record pace. Record low mortgage rates and the ongoing trend towards greater work from home options have created strong incentives for people to purchase new homes, undertake renovation and do-it-yourself projects. Remote working has continued to drive demand for more affordable suburban homes, which is boosting single family home building that consume three times as much OSB as multifamily. Industrial demand has also continued to recover and has now normalized back to, and in some cases above, pre-COVID levels. Now, by way of reminder, we report capacity utilization rates based on our available capacity, which has included 100 mahas, but excluded Shambord in, in the denominator. On this basis, our North American mills produced at 86% of available capacity in Q3. Now, if we exclude both the curtailed Chambord and, now, the 100-mile house mills from this calculation, we produce at 92% of capacity as we run our mills hard to meet very strong customer demand. Further, excluding Line 1 at our Cordial mill, which was still curtailed for nearly half the quarter, We took just 22 mil days of downtime in Q3 compared to 143 in Q2. OSB supply has struggled to keep up with the stronger than expected rebound in OSB demand, leading to record high benchmark prices that have carried into the early portion of the fourth quarter. Our adjusted EBITDA in Europe also increased from $2 million in Q2 to $16 million in Q3 on the strength of the recovery in demand and improving European OSB pricing. We continue to make great progress at our Inverness mill in the third quarter, where the phase two commissioning is now well advanced. The mill is now consistently producing at its phase one capacity. And starting to ramp up towards its phase two capacity of 945 million square feet on a 3/8 basis. This expansion will help us continue to supply substitution-driven OSB demand growth in Europe for the years to come. Now, to the, to the discussion, to discuss our decision to permanently close the 100 Mahos Mill in British Columbia. This closure will reduce our stated North American capacity by 440 million square feet, three-eighths. As you know, the 100 house mill has been indefinitely curtailed since August 2019 in response to a wood supply shortage and rising fiber costs, owing to the mountain pine beetle epidemic and more recently significant wildfires. These factors led to a 50% reduction in the annual allowable harvest for the region serving the mill. Earlier this year and in reaction to the pandemic, we adapted a more flexible operating strategy across our mar- manufacturing platform to be more agile in responding to the changing market conditions and customer requirements while containing manufacturing costs. As Norboard's highest cost mill, and with an ongoing wood supply shortage in the region it became clear that on a, the 100 mahash mill was unlikely to have a role to play in the future taken together the current and expected ongoing wood supply shortages make the operation uneconomic and so we have decided to permanently close the mill we recognize this is difficult news for our team in 100 mahas And reiterate that this decision is not a reflection on the professionalism and commitment of our employees there, or to the community of 100 Mahas. I want to thank our team in 100 Mahas for their effort in the face of extremely challenging industry conditions. And with that, I'll now pass the call over to Raman. Thanks,
0: Peter, and good morning, everyone. As you update your models with our Q3 results, there are two factors I want to draw your attention to. First, in light of the recent unprecedented and steep run-up in North American benchmark OSP prices, I'll remind you of the inherent lag in our realized prices versus these benchmarks during periods of rapidly changing prices. This lag, which cuts both ways, of course, occurs because of the timing impact of our order files for commodity and value-added products, as well as the roughly 25% of our North American volume that goes into specialty end uses, where negotiated prices don't move up or down with the commodity benchmarks. And second, while we are optimistic about current market indicators, we also recognize that we are now entering the winter construction period when demand typically slows down. Turning to our dividend, you will have seen that our Board increased the dividend to $0.60 Canadian per share this quarter on the back of record financial results and continued optimism about end market demand. This is entirely consistent with our variable dividend policy that gives us the flexibility to adjust the payout level up and down as our operating results, outlook, and balance sheet permit, as well as being consistent with our historically balanced approach to capital allocation. It also recognizes the need for resilience and balance sheet flexibility, given the significant uncertainty hanging over our positive outlook, which Peter will outline in a moment. In recognition of our strong Q3 financial results and our positive outlook, we have returned returned our 2020 capital expenditures back to the original target of $100 million. And looking ahead to next year, we have a preliminary 2021 CapEx budget of $150 million. We will focus this higher budget on reducing manufacturing costs, enhancing process safety across our mills, further investments to support the company's industrial sales growth strategy, and continuation of the schaumburg rebuild. And with that, I will pass the call back to Peter.
2: Thank you, Robin. We are optimistic about the demand strength we're currently seeing but we also recognize there remains considerable uncertainty around the depth and duration of the economic impact of COVID-19, as well as the uncertain US election results and upcoming Brexit deadline. We further acknowledge that there is an apparent disconnect between the strong housing economy and the weaker macro economy that may eventually get reconciled one way or the other. We remain vigilant and will continue to focus on the health and safety of our employees first, as well as our customers' needs. And we will manage the business to be resilient and flexible. We have learned how to be significantly more agile in scaling our production down and up to align with customer demand while managing cost. Our new flexible operating configuration is now our standard operating approach. So, should conditions change, we are well positioned to respond. And with that, we'll jump right into questions. So I'll turn things over to the operator who will open up your lines.
1: Thank you very much. If you would like to ask a question, please signal by pressing star one on your telephone keypad. If you are using a speakerphone, please make sure your mute function is turned off to allow your signal to reach our equipment. Again, press star one to ask a question. We will pause for just a moment to allow everyone an opportunity to signal for questions. We will now take our first question from Ketan Mamtoro from BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead, your line is open.
3: Uh, thank you. Uh, good morning, uh, Peter, Robin. Congrats on a, on a very strong quarter. Thank you. Uh, first question, Peter, I was just curious if you can talk a little bit about sort of order files that you are seeing for this time of the year. Uh, you know, obviously through the summer and into kind of September, you know, you were running well above sort of the comfort level. Uh, but I'm just curious whether you've been able to sort of catch up to demand.
2: Well, I think there's sort of two things, uh, Keith and I would point to, first of all, uh, you know we've enjoyed this incredibly strong uh, pricing environment because demand uh you know really since may or maybe even earlier has been sig- uh, recovering significantly faster than we had anticipated uh you know and even uh, bringing additional capacity on on board in in august uh, sort of uh you know didn't impact that significantly uh, the reality of OSB demand is that it is impacted by seasonal factors. And so we would fully expect uh, you know, demand to retreat uh, in the winter months. And, uh, um, and so we are at, at the beginning of that season. And so certainly when I look at our uh, what we are experiencing, uh, you know, we are now back on time with our shipments no longer well behind uh, like we were unfortunately earlier in
3: the season. Got it. So it's more in, in, in most, you know, similar to maybe two to three weeks. Is that more typical for this time, yeah. uh, Peter? Is that fair?
2: That's a fair, fair assessment, yeah.
3: Got it. That's helpful. And then uh, just switching over to uh, line one at Cordial, I'm just curious, you know, how the ramp up has uh, progressed there. I think last quarter you said. Uh, you were able to hire only 25 people. So, you know, as we kind of move through winter and spring of next year, uh, I'm just uh, curious, kind of, how do you anticipate ramping production there?
2: Well, uh Keaton, I, I guess I want to point back to the comments we have made earlier. Um, you know, we started that mill up on a on an emergency basis and, and temporary basis. Uh, we were able to attract a few of the employees that uh, we had to part ways with uh, the previous year. Um, you know, and, and I'm very impressed by how the team in Cordill has handled um, that sudden situation. Uh, the other points that I have made in the past is, first of all, that we now consider that mill part of our flexible operating strategy. And in addition, as we have always repeated, that we will only produce what we can sell to our customers. Um, so that's, I think, you know, I, you know, we do not make a habit of talking about um, our our downtime ahead of uh, schedule. So you'll have to uh, wait until we get to uh, next quarter's results uh, for me to be able to speak about that specifically.
3: Got it. That's helpful. And then just a last question before I turn it over on, on capital allocation. Uh, you know, net leverages is, uh, is down below one times now. Um, given how much OSP prices had run up, you know, over the last few months, um, it does seem like Q4 will also be a pretty strong cash quarter. Uh, I'm just curious kind of how you think about, you know, capital allocation priorities. You have not renewed. Uh, the NCIB. Uh, so if you can just talk about kind of you know two or three things that uh, you know that are kind of most important uh, to Norboard right now from a capital allocation standpoint,
2: thanks, Keaton. I will ask Robin to answer that question
0: yeah good morning, Keaton. Um listen, no change in our our philosophy um, from what we've always talked about we've always taken a very balanced approach uh, to allocating capital in this company you, you know you've heard us talk about our capital budget for next year increasing it to 150 million from the 100 this year um which which is important we've got you know we've got a we have an ongoing roster of high return projects um that will provide great returns for our shareholders that we'll will execute on given our our uh, flexible balance you know given the state of our balance sheet and the capital that we have at our disposal um but you've also heard us talk about the uncertainties um hanging over what is you know what appears today to be a very positive outlook and um, I, I think for us at Norboard right now, and we talked about this last quarter as well, um, corporate resilience is a big focus, um, and having a flexible balance sheet and, and now a flexible operating configuration so that we can quickly adapt um, to whatever comes at us. Um, that that is very important to us right now, and so so we are prioritizing just being being a little more cautious um, on that front, and while well, continuing to be balanced in how we allocate capital. So you've seen the dividend. Uh, has been taken up to sixty cents, which is kind of consistent with uh with our range since we established the variable dividend policy back in twenty thirteen. And um uh and the NCIB certainly remains a tool in our toolkit and under the right circumstances we will renew it and we can do so very quickly.
3: Uh perfect. Thanks Robin. I'll turn it over. Good luck into twenty twenty one.
0: Thanks
1: Keith. Thanks Keaton. Thank you. If you find your question has been answered, you may remove yourself from the queue by pressing star two. Our next question comes from Sean Stewart with TD Securities. Please go ahead. Your line is open.
4: Thanks. Good morning, everyone. A uh, few questions. Good morning, morning. Um uh, I want to start with, with resin. There seems to be a lot of short-term supply curtailments uh, Across the MDI sector, can you give us some context on how you're positioned and any expected cost inflation related to that through the, the fourth quarter and the Q1 next year?
2: Yeah, I think uh, you, you're. I think I can confirm that there's been a force majeure event at one of the key resin suppliers. Uh, we have invoked our contingency plans, and at this point, we don't expect any material impact on production or a Q4 financials. But obviously, that always depends on how long these situations last.
4: Okay. And and Peter, with respect to your, your comments on North American OSB demand, uh, wondering if you can provide a little more context on the, the repair and remodeling channel. And there seems to be a lot of generic discussion around ongoing demand growth from that channel. And I'm just trying to gauge have you seen a pronounced slowdown? It feels like there was a lot of volume pulled forward in the initial wake of the pandemic. Are you, are you, should we qualify this as a, a deceleration in year-over-year growth, or are we seeing an apparent peak in, in volumes going into that channel?
2: Uh, yeah, Sean, I, I'll try my best to answer that, but I, I would say that uh, you know all throughout this year, we have seen... Uh, demand from the channel, you know, and you know we are a very significant supplier to that channel. Um, we have seen demand sort of above where it was at the same time last year, uh, which in turn was above where it was at that time in 2018. And you know that the volume into the big or the into the R and R segment also has seasonality to it. Uh, so it's important to compare it on a year over year basis and uh, but on that basis, we continue to see significant strength in the segment
3: okay um,
4: last question for me the the incremental capex next year if if we exclude Chambord spending from that one hundred and fifty million, can you give us a little bit more detail on the the specific types of projects for for discretionary spending you're looking at? And Robin, you touched on fast payback expectations, any update you can give us on what those metrics look like for that that type of stuff?
2: I'll, I'll give you one example, Sean. You know, uh, Our board has just approved a, uh, a renewal pro- project for our Genk uh, Belgium dryer. Uh, you know, we have a single dryer there, and uh, we intend to replace it with a larger single dryer to you know, that plant was originally built in the early 2000s, and, you know, it was—it uh, it is now dryer-limited. Um, and so this kind of a project, you know, I think it's in the neighborhood of 10 million. Uh, I don't know if that's euros or dollars. Dollar oh, that's about the same anyways. Uh, dollars, uh, you know, uh, would take about a year to implement, but then has significant uptick, and we expect a very good return from that project. So those are the kind of things that we're focus on for next year, further debottlenecking our processes where we need more volume, or focusing on cost reduction projects or uh, mix improvements, so where we can f- further focus on our specialty, s- specialty strategy projects. Sorry.
4: And, and with respect to the, the de-bottlenecking part of that, Peter, any guidance you can give us on capacity creep across the, the portfolio we should think about?
2: Well, as I I think I'm trying to make that distinction. So you know, we see continued demand growth in in the European business based on substitution. Uh, so that's a place where we're very much focused on debottlenecking to make more capacity available for our customers. In North America, uh-huh. our focus for the last year or two has been primarily on cost reduction investments and so efficiency uh, investments and on making more capacity available to our specialty segment.
1: Understood. Uh that's all I have. Thanks very much everyone. Thanks, Sean. Our next question comes from Hamir Patel from CIBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead, your lines open.
5: Hi uh, good morning.
6: Peter, uh what, um you know what do you expect to do with the, the press at
5: uh Hundred Mile House?
2: uh hi amir well the one thing i can tell you is that it won't be used for osb production in north america uh you know it's difficult to deal with that asset uh you know during this COVID pandemic um, but uh, um, in europe for example where we have had old presses to dispose of uh, we've uh, earlier on so if i go back about 10 15 years uh, we were able to sell some of that uh trust technology but more recently in inverness uh you know we actually scrapped the two old presses that were there so we'll look at what the appropriate uh appropriate action is to take once you know the covid restrictions are a little bit eased up
6: okay Th- thanks peter and um you know canfor recently indicated that they had sold their long idle long idle uh uh, site and, and the press there. Do you, do you see that starting up somewhere else in North America?
2: I'm not aware of any plans anywhere in North America. Um, I know that a very similar press uh, was sold to Russia, you know, maybe or taken to Russia five or six years ago. Uh, so, but beyond that, I can't comment.
1: Yeah, f- f- fair <laughs> enough. Uh,
5: that's all I had. I'll, I'll turn it over. Thanks.
2: Thanks, Amir.
1: Our next question comes from Jen uh, John Babcock from Bank of America. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Hey,
6: good morning. Thanks for taking my questions. Just uh, quickly on the flexible operating structure, and you know you've talked about this a little bit in the past, but just want a little want to get a little bit more color on how this impacts the overall efficiency at at the plants and also from a cost perspective, whether you're able to keep the mills running at a a level that's pretty comparable to how they would have been under your prior structure.
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously uh, what we have learned during this uh, past six or seven months is that some mills are technically much more capable to uh, take this fluctuation in volume than others. And so our focus on this, for this flexible strategy is on those mills, particularly, um, and uh, and and as you have seen from us over the last little while, uh, you know we have been able to do so uh, without a significant impact on our costs, and that's really where our focus has been. Okay.
6: Um, thanks for that. And then. Just uh, quickly to Shambor, you know, I was just wondering if you can remind us of some of the key factors that will ultimately get you to restart that. Recognizing it's largely demand focused, but I was wondering if you could provide a little bit more color on, you know, what exactly you'd be looking for in the market.
2: Yeah, John, that's a good question. Um, you know, as we have repeated uh, in the past, uh, whatever it is, eight or ten or twelve quarters, uh, you know, my answer is not significantly different. You know, we continue to evaluate. Uh, demand uh, uh, from our from the market and from our customers, but we are focus in particular about the sustainability of that increase in demand, and uh, so that's really the key for us. You know, right now we have a very positive outlook for next year, but we have also noted that there are some significant uh, uncertainties right now that we're still facing, um, and so we will closely monitor, uh, you know, how sustainable we feel.
1: Uh, the increase in demand uh, is. All
6: right. And, um, you know, then my last question before I turn it over, uh, it, it sounds like some of these investments that you plan on making in 2021 are to uh, help growth within the specialty side of things. And I was wondering if you might be able to you know talk about which end markets are uh, ultimately seeing uh, the strongest growth and, and which ones you, I guess you expect to remain strong into that
5: year.
2: Yeah, on the specialty side, uh, this year has been quite surprising. Uh, You know, I think I have sort of talked in the past in very general terms as uh, furniture, commercial construction, and transportation. And you know, transportation is a bit of a grabble of all sorts of different end uses. But that's an area where we really were caught by surprise this year. Uh, You know, in particular, recreational vehicles, uh, which use remarkable volume of OSB has been a big growth market this year. And I guess that is one of these impacts, uh, unanticipated impacts of the COVID crisis. Since people can no longer, or it's much more difficult to go on vacations uh, abroad, or maybe uh, choose not to go on a cruise anymore, uh, a lot more North Americans have chosen to buy a RV and, and uh, are joining the RVing uh, vacation crowd. So that's a good example of uh, where we have seen some significant and unexpected growth. Thank you. Thanks, John.
1: Our next question comes from Paul Quinn with RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Your line is open.
5: Yeah, thanks. Uh, good morning, good afternoon, I guess. Um, just uh, following up uh, a, a question on the 100 Mile House, and I, I uh, recognize that was a, a difficult decision. Besides the press, is there a equipment that you can sell that's there, and is there an associated tenure that you can also
2: sell? Uh, no, there's not much. There, most of the, there was no, um, what is that called? Good morning, first of all, Paul, well, sorry. <laughs> There is no, uh, I think in British Columbia, it's called uh, tree license, that long-term tenure. We did not have any that was associated with that mill. Uh, So it was all short-term tenure, primarily focused on the beetle-killed wood. Um, And in terms of equipment, uh, obviously uh, we will pull out whatever equipment we can use at our other operations, if it's still in good shape. Um, and uh, you know, with the press, I've already uh, mentioned that earlier. But that's sort of our perspective there. Uh, you know, the, the mill has been put away very carefully uh, when we originally closed it down, and we will, we will obviously uh, uh, therefore have equipment that can be used elsewhere in our operations.
5: Okay, uh, thanks, there. And then I guess on the uh, MDI question, you said no material impact, but have you have you switched, uh, have you got adequate MDI supplies or have you had a number of mills that are running phenolics 100% now?
2: Um, you know, we have, I said we have a, a invoked our contingency plan or implemented our contingency plan. Uh, you know, we've worked very closely with our uh, MDI supplier and and, you know, they have been extremely responsive uh, during a difficult time. Uh, you know, I should say that our European mills obviously are supplied from a different source um, and there's been no issues there. And in North America, we have had enough flexibility uh, to be able to sort of react to uh, this temporary uh, demand or temporary challenge. And obviously that may change if it, Temporary becomes uh, significantly longer than what the uh, supplier is currently indicating it will be.
1: Okay, and
5: then uh, just lastly, earlier this week, one of your OSB competitors mentioned that uh, they expect OSB prices in Q4 to be higher than Q3. Is that is that your outlook as well?
2: Well, I mean, obviously, the start to the quarter has been extraordinary from a pricing perspective, uh, you know. Uh, it's uh, the superlatives. Uh, I don't even know what words to use anymore in terms of what we've seen with pricing. Uh, you know, at the same time as I mentioned earlier, um, you know, we are going into the weaker demand periods, seasonally period of the year, and and so with that, I would expect that you know those kind of prices uh, won't sustain at these levels uh, through the end of the year. Again, I'm no. Not good at prognostication, but that's uh, that would be, I think, is a reasonable assumption. And so then the question is just, okay, how how will things behave in eight weeks? Um, But wow, there's some weird noise here. But okay, can you still hear me? Yep. Oh, it's maybe on your side. Okay. Um, anyways, so um, it is possible when the averages, uh, 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 when everything averages out, and the fact that normally, in a uh, downward market, we gain a little bit in mill net realization compared to the steep upward market we've had. But beyond that, you know, uh, I'm, I think it is uh, we do not like to, um, to give forward guidance when it comes to results or pricing. Uh you know and so
0: um, I think all I can say is Yeah, more. I would just echo that. We in fact we do not give guidance for obvious reasons. Yeah.
4: <laughs> all right. being, uh I'm being, wow so, I'm, being, I'm
2: being tapped here under the table. Uh, I, uh my shins are sore, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, thanks very much. Uh,
5: best luck. Thanks, Paul.
1: Our next question comes from Mark Weintraub with Seaport Global. Please go ahead. Your line is open.
7: Thank you. And and maybe following up on Paul's question um, and recognizing that you don't give guidance, could you share with us um, where OSB prices, your average OSB prices in North America quarter to date have been relative to the third quarter and roughly what percentage of the volume, what uh, would be encompassed in that? Would uh, would that be for for the fourth quarter?
0: Yeah, hi Mark. No, I I, I cannot share uh, anything from the fourth quarter um, for the same reason. We just we we don't uh, we don't give guidance, nor do we disclose anything outside of our quarters. So I just I just can't go there. You you can see what's happened with benchmark prices, obviously, and you you, sure. uh, you have a sense uh, for you know for. For how we stack, you know, where our volume goes, right? About 75% of our North American volume is tied to, is tied in one way or another to those random length prices, and the 25% of our volume that goes into industrial and export uses is is delinked from those. So um, that's that still applies.
3: Okay, and just, just to clarify, I
7: was just asking for. Um, uh, what's already happened as opposed to what's going to happen in terms of the pricing. But uh, if you understood that, fine, I I can move on.
0: I I did understand that, yeah, and I still can't can't go
7: there. Fair fair enough. Um, Then second, um, in Europe, um, noticeably that the price was pretty flat for uh, third quarter versus second quarter, just uh, very much different than what we saw in the U.S. Can you just remind us how pricing tends to work Um, In Europe, uh, from a framework perspective?
2: That was a good question. I mean, pricing in Europe in general uh, is negotiated, first of all, so there is no sort of commodity benchmark. Secondly, uh, they tend to vary in a range of about 20% uh, from top to bottom, and uh, it usually takes several years to go from one extreme to the other extreme. Uh, you know, from the numbers that we do publish, which are a particular grade of OSB in the German market, uh, you can see that you know, prices have come from off from their recent peaks over the last year or so and have now flattened out. Uh, you know, demand uh, and particular substitution demand in Europe has really gained strength uh, during this COVID uh, period because people have become increasingly aware of the risk associated with being at the far end of a very long supply chain and are increasingly focusing on buying from domestically produced OSB.
7: And recognizing you don't give forward guidance, if I uh, think about the demand getting better um, and, and the price have come, and uh, all else equal, it would... Lead me to think that there would be positive bias going forward, um, assuming no big shift in demand trajectory. Are there any other variables that I should be weighing heavily as I make my judgments?
2: No, I think you know, other than the, the the overall risk and your assessment of how Im- Im- important that overall risk that we have indicated is, uh, you know, I think. That that is uh, those are the key elements.
7: Okay, two real quick ones. Two inventory in the channel, particularly in North America. Where would you say um, OSB inventories are relative to where they typically would be this time of year?
2: Yeah, for this time of the year, they have now sort of, I think, as best as I can judge it, um, based on comments that we receive from our customers. Um, you know, we. As best as we can judge, it inventory situation is now more normal to what we would see this time of the year, and of course, a lot of it depends on how long uh, demand uh, continues into the winter. Uh, you know, it's always difficult to predict when uh, when that seasonal seasonality really kicks in. Um, but that's uh, other than that, uh, you know, I would say we're probably back in line to where it would typically be.
7: Great, and one last one. On the dividend, so you increased, and recognizing it's a variable dividend, you, you increased it, um, and it, it seems like that's the dividend until things w- w- would change. Is that the way to, to read it now? Um, and or what would be the kind of thinking to have increased the, the, the base variable dividend as opposed to having done a special dividend given the extraordinary markets that we've been in just kind of your thought process would be
1: helpful.
0: Yeah, Mark, I mean ultimately obviously dividends are a board decision, but the um uh the the 60 cent level is consistent with our with our range and the track record that we've established. And um you know, obviously we it's a it's a decision and a discussion that happens every quarter, so um, I again can't you know can't tell you it'll stay there next quarter. It may or may not. Um but you know, you heard us say our outlook is positive, but there are you know there's a, a much more significant level of uncertainty hanging over that outlook than than we would typically see in a cycle. And uh for that reason we're focused on both corporate and balance sheet flexibility and also operating flexibility and that will continue to be um you know, that will continue to guide us going forward. Very good. Thank you. Thanks, Mark.
1: Our next question comes from Andrew Kurske with Credit Suisse. Please go ahead; your line is open.
5: Thank you. Good morning. I, I think the first question is for Robin, and it's just on the MIP and the 43 million of savings year to date, which is an impressive number given all that's happened this year. Uh, and I guess when we look ahead, and you're no longer in a flexible operating strategy as you've been running in some of the plants. Do you see the cost structure that you've managed to um, have this year and really benefit from? Is that going to be sustainable as you really ramp up productions? And in fact, will the margins even become better?
0: Yeah, that's a good question, Andrew. Um, yes, our view is that you know the, the bulk of that is sustainable. Um, you know, it's been one of our big learnings, silver linings, if you will, coming out of COVID is 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 quickly learning how to <coughs> how to be more flexible with our operating configuration in a way that still contains our manufacturing cost, so I think you heard us talk last quarter about sort of trading off downtime for lower maintenance cost where you know where that trade off makes sense and that's and that's a big part of it so I think the majority of it is sustainable um but if there there has certain uh, mip only includes controllables to be clear our m i in- p includes just the controllable elements of our cost structure. Um, we have had a tailwind um, on the uncontrollable side from lower resin prices um, so far this year, um, but uh, if you look at controllables, I would I would expect you know that part of it to be sustainable based on what we can see and how we've learned to be uh, to be flexible and contain our costs.
5: Okay, thank you. That's very positive. And then I, I think on the last call we we talked a little bit about uh, just some hiring issues you had, I think, as a Cordell. Um, But I guess with the profit share that you've got with your employees, just retaining employees, especially in the environment we're in, shouldn't be that difficult. Drawing new employees, and I guess the the challenge is really on the skilled side. But with the profit share that it looks like you'll post this year, um, I would think you wouldn't really have any hiring issues. Could you talk a little bit about just hiring and retention?
2: Yeah, sure, Um, Andrew. I think what you're referring to is uh, uh, the challenge uh, we, uh, we mentioned around uh, taking the people back we, in, in our Cordial Line 1 startup or emergency startup that we had in early August. Uh, we mentioned that, uh, you know, I think in 2019 we had to part ways with about 47 of our employees when we shut that line down. Most of those employees had found other jobs. Uh, nearby, uh, because in late 2019, the the employment market was still extremely tight. So when we needed to make the decision to start that line back up on a very quick basis there in early August, uh, we anticipated some difficulty getting all of those people back. And that's indeed been the case. You know, they've had other jobs and um and were reluctant to uh, to give those up uh, to come back to work for us um so having said that um if i <clears throat> i would say that the mill has responded extremely well and was able to do quite well even with that limited number of employees uh, during the during that period um overall uh, you're absolutely right you know our uh, retention of employees has been extremely good um, you know, we have very limited turnover in most of our operations, and, and uh, profit share is a long-term part of that strategy, and I think uh, this year, or to everybody's surprise, will be a, a very good year, or maybe now, in hindsight, it's not a surprise anymore, but it certainly would have been in April. Uh, you know, profit share numbers will be very attractive.
1: Okay, that's great. Thank you very much.
2: Thanks, Andrew. Okay, Uh, thank you everyone. Um, As always, uh, Robin, Heather and Robert and I are available to respond to any further questions you may have, but thank you for your participation today. I hope you all stay safe and we look forward to reporting on our progress next quarter. With that, Sandra, I'll hand it back to you.
1: Thank you very much. This concludes today's call. Thank you for your participation. You may know this discuss- could
0: Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.